so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Glenn Stanton is the Director of Family Formation Studies at Focus on the Family and spends a lot of time with those he disagrees with about issues of sexuality, but there are also those he calls friend. At the ERLC National Conference, his talk, Loving My LGBT Neighbor, encouraged us as Christians to be friend, love, and speak truth to all of our neighbors because of the way Jesus did the same for us when we were opposed to Him. We hope this message encourages you to reach out to the neighbors God has put around you. I have the delight of talking to you this afternoon on a bit of work that I get to do at Focus on the Family. You see, I'm one of the ones that gets to, not has to, I'm one of the ones that gets to fight, argue, debate, scrap with people from the other side of this issue. But not only do I get to do that, I get to eat meals with them. I get to travel with them, rent cars together, and go to the speaking events that we go to. We meet at the airport together. Usually we'll stay at the same hotel together because we have developed friendships, real friendships, not just, you know, kind of, oh, well, they're my friend. No, real friendships, people that I deeply care for, and I think that they deeply care for me. But we've developed these friendships in spite of and in the midst of the disagreements that we have on this issue. And I want to talk about that today. Is, is that possible? Can you be real, genuine, loving, valuable friends? And I want you to know that. I mean, I, when I think about these particular friends, small handful of them, I, I get choked up in my heart because these people have really come to mean something deep to me, completely apart from this issue. But can we be friends and still hang on to our different convictions? Absolutely. And we must. We must, especially as Christians. Why? Because Christ's great commandment that he gives to us, beside loving him with all our heart, mind, and soul, is to love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus was asked when he said that, who's my neighbor? Certainly it's not those people. Every culture, every generation has those people. Jesus said, yes, exactly those people. And if you don't even really think that it's those people, Christ ups the ante a bit 
and says, not only love your neighbor, but love your enemy. Christians, there's no way we can wiggle out of this. There's no room, okay? We are called to love everyone. The same-sex attracted person, the activist, the person who is standing against us, do we have to love them? Absolutely. No question. And how do we do that? We have to know, and this may seem a little controversial, but we have to know that friendships are not a means to an end. Well, sure, Glenn, you've developed these friendships because you want to share the gospel with these people. No. It's important to share the gospel, but Christ didn't say love your neighbor as yourself so that you can win them into the kingdom of God. That is his heart, but friendship is a means in itself. It is not a means to an end. It is an end in itself. And as those relationships develop, then we can share the truth of our lives, and it comes up naturally. I will ask my friends, tell me when you announced to your family the thing that you had to announce to your family. I want to understand that. And in that, hopefully opening up, well, Glenn, tell me about your faith. Your faith seems very important to you. Explain that to me. And I get the opportunity to do that. Friendship is not a means to an end. Love is not a means to an end. It is the end itself. And in that, all the other things that happen, happen. Now, this issue, loving our LGBT neighbors, family members, co-workers, is not really as difficult as it seems because it really comes down to loving like you would love anybody else. In, in this new book that I have, the, the preface starts out with what I call the great equalizers. And when we think about reaching out to our gay and lesbian neighbors, friends, co-workers, even some of the people in our church, think about these great equalizers. First of all, and this is mere Christianity, every person is of inestimable worth to God. Not some more than others, not some less than others, Everyone, no exceptions. Everyone, Christ has a passion for each one of us. He seeks us. He yearns after us. It's what sent him to the cross. Everyone, not some more than others. The next point is assumed in that second point. Every one of us, every one of us is stricken with a terminal illness called sin. Not some more than another, every one of us. Every one of us has a disordered sexuality. You want to know what my disorder is? I'm married. I've been married 32 years. Guess what? When I got married, I didn't stop noticing whether people were male or female. Even to this day, I still recognize, wow, she's a female. She's an attractive female, you know? 
It can go further than that. Christ said, he who looks upon a woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery with her. I struggle with that. I have to bring that to the cross of Christ. Every one of us needs to do that with our sexual brokenness. Therefore, everyone, everyone is in desperate need of repentance, of grace, of hope, and a new life in Christ. Those are the great equalizers. So how do we love gay and lesbian people, same-sex attracted people, according to these principles and great equalizers? They are no different than anybody else that we interact with, no different than us, even though the particulars may be different. Your particulars are different than mine. I want to share a story. As I have gone around the country for really the past 15 years debating the issue of same-sex marriage and the same-sex family on secular campuses across the country, one of the best things that I like about that is being able to go out to dinner afterward with the folks who put the evening on. And usually it's the, you know, the gay and lesbian campus group. And we'll go out to Applebee's or something like that and that, you know, I'll tell them, I'm the guy from Focus on the Family. You probably have not had the opportunity to quiz, question, and press somebody, a card-carrying member of the religious right. Here's your shot. Ask me any question. The snake handling, any of that crazy stuff, I'll, I'll give you the secrets for how we do that. <laughs> and they will say... Okay, let me ask you a question. So you believe that I'm going to hell because I'm a homosexual. Wrong. And they're like, what? Don't don't you believe that as a Christian? No, we don't. We don't believe that you are going to hell because you're a homosexual, because you're same-sex attracted, any more that I'm going to heaven because I like girls. Okay. That is not what takes you to heaven or keeps you out of heaven. It's that thing, that terminal illness called sin. You have it. I have it. That's what separates us from God. And I'm able to share the gospel. Here's the remedy for that terminal illness. Christ. The great divider between us and them, and I even hate to use that term, but it's a shorthand us and them, because there is no us and them. The great divider between us and them is not sexuality. The great equalizer is our sin. The great equalizer is our need for repentance and new life in Christ. But what's hard about these relationships, what's difficult about these relationships, is getting the proper balance of them right. And I think in the church today, we have a, a unbalance. On one side, we just have out of hand, absolute condemnation and rejection. Or on the other hand, it's the sort of uncritical, accept you as you are, kumbayaism. Okay? Neither one of those is the Christian position. What is the Christian position? The Christian position is not a third way, 
as some say. It is the one way, and it comes to who Christ is in his very nature. We read about that in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh, came down and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father. You can finish that verse, can't you? Full of truth and grace. Not pretty full of grace and really full of truth, or not pretty full of truth and real full of grace, full of grace and truth. 100% truth, 100% grace, one not more than the other. See, we need to understand that Christ gets and demonstrates and embodies that balance because truth by itself is abusive. Truth by itself is abusive. Grace by itself is just kind of mushy sentimentalism. Like I said earlier, it's just kind of a kumbaya sort of thing. Truth by itself helps no one and hurts many. Grace by itself helps no one and hurts many by not calling them to anything. There is only Christ's way, full of grace and truth. Now, that's where it gets difficult because none of us, none of us will always get the truth and grace thing right. They're a, they're a dynamic. They, you know, some like a ship. Sometimes we're over here, sometimes we're over there, but we have to work to stay in the middle there. This can't be learned in a classroom. The grace and truth balance. It must be learned in the rockiness and roughness and realness of real relationships with real people who, in this issue, deal with same-sex attraction. There's no other way around it. We have to get into people's lives. And we have to learn to do this. It feels like a, a friend of mine equated it to, feels like learning to ride a bike. Okay? You're trying to ride that bike. It's not going well. It's wobbly. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to fall over and crash. In this issue of developing these relationships, you are going to feel like you're going to get wobbly, fall over, and crash. It's inevitable. But you keep at it. You keep making mistakes. You keep skinning up your knees and your elbows and just keep after it, and the relationships will get easier. I want to close with a story that demonstrates this. Very dear friend of mine. He's probably the one that I have debated the most and really developed the strongest relationship with. He lives in Detroit. He's a professor of philosophy at a university there in, in Detroit. And we were having an event in his city. And he said, Glenn, when you come for this event, I would love for you to stay with Mark and myself, his partner, at their house. They have this wonderful kind of McMansion um, in, in Detroit there. And, you know, would you like to stay? And I said, you know what? I would love to stay. I would be honored to stay, primarily because I wanted to demonstrate, you know what? I'm willing to step into your world like that. And I appreciate you putting yourself out 
for me, the guy from Focus on the Family, okay? Now, my wife, a couple days before I'm leaving on this trip, she very smartly says, Glenn, have you checked with the people at work? (laughs) Okay, so you're getting the substance of the dilemma, right? Have you checked with the people at work about this? Oh, I don't need to check. They'll be fine. Okay, men, when your wife asks you to do something, the wise man always does that. So I went to work the next day, and before I asked my direct boss, I asked a number of other people that I thought would give me the answer I was looking for, okay? It's a smart strategy. But my direct boss, I am under his authority. And he had said, Glenn, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but you're a representative of Focus, you're a spokesperson for Focus, and, you know, everybody that hears of this may not understand it like you understand it or we understand it, and um, maybe it's best not to do that. So I had to call my friend, tell him, explain to him why I wasn't able to come. Our relationship took a long time to recover from that, but it did recover because we were both committed to making it work. Friends, love demands that we seek out these relationships and be able to face the inherent messiness of them in nothing less than the grace and the truth that God embodies in Christ and that he calls us to as well. Amen. Thank you very much. We've got to be able to do the word of God, not just speak the truth. That we must unapologetically testify that God values all life, from the unborn to the disabled to the dying. If God values it, we value it. The value of human life isn't just an issue for Congress or activists or ethics professors. It's an issue for every single Christian and local church. The churches where the unborn are prayed over, where the widows are visited, where the orphan is adopted, and where the disabled and the unwanted are made heirs with the Lord of the universe. If fear is keeping you from loving people who are different from you, then fear is keeping you from God. The church must speak a prophetic gospel word to our culture of death. The cause of life is not a liberal versus conservative issue. It's a kingdom issue, and children of the king must stand up in defense of all of human life. Will you join us as we do just that this coming January? Come, march with us as we stand up for life in Washington, D.C., and stay for our 2018 Evangelicals for Life conference with Focus on the Family afterward. Learn more at evangelicals.life. And use the promo code ERLC Podcast to save 20% on registration. These children are not burdens. These children bear the image of God and are blessings. Thanks for joining us on the ERLC Podcast. Visit ERLC.com to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to tune in next week for another message about how the Christian faith informs all of life.